Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Drinkon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting episode of the Eternal Optimist podcast. I'm your host, Matt Drinkon, and today on the show, I have Mr. David Peralta. Uh, while David is over there in warm California, I'm over here in chilly North Carolina. He's in California, I'm in North Carolina. The words don't sound that different, Carolina and California, but he's warm and I'm cold right now. I just thought I'd mention that first because we've been talking about the differences where we are. But David, we've had a good conversation so far. It's my pleasure to bring him to you. So David, welcome to the show today, sir. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. You were referred and reconnected through Hector, our podcast producer, who also has the Modern Masculinity podcast, and he's someone I respect dearly. So when he said, you've got to meet David Peralta, he is a fountain of information. He's got so much you can learn with. So I'm excited to be here for that. So for those of us who haven't heard of you, because you don't have a social media press, that's an intentional thing. And we'll dive into that today, too, about social media. But for those of us who haven't heard of you yet, don't know you yet, can you chronicle for us? Maybe give us three bullet points. What are the things that we might need to know to start this conversation today, David? Yeah, sure. I'm an entrepreneurial coach, but the basis is entirely on the spiritual experiences that I've had and the process of spiritual awakening and how over time I've learned to open my heart and discover that love is really the key to success and opening our heart to a higher power and accessing that higher power through love. That's what allows us to basically become instruments for the highest level of creativity and creative force possible. And when we apply that in service of others, that's when all the pieces come together. And that's when we start to see really miraculous results in our life. Whew. Man, David, you just skipped foreplay. You went right into the main <laughs> event, and I love it. Uh, I'm a fan. What I heard was the phrase, fully opening your heart to love. And I'd love to just plant our base right here and digest and dissect what that really means. So could you take us back to a time in your life when you had not learned this or realized this, or you were not open yet? And can you take us back to a time that was challenging for you and how you came to these conclusions? Yeah, I'd like to anchor that with a little bit additional background. I have been a spiritual seeker since I was 20 years old. I dropped out of college for a year to go live in a Zen Buddhist monastery for six months. I lived in India with studying under a spiritual master for two years. And basically, I knew spirituality was the center of my life. I was always interested since I was 11 years old. I remember reading a Time Magazine article about the origins of the universe. And even then, having this deep feeling that I want to understand where everything comes from. What is the reality? What is the, the true nature of everything? Why are we here? What is the purpose of everything? Why does the universe even exist? All these kinds of things I wanted to know. So I had dedicated my entire life to this, right? And I had met my wife at the ashram in India where I was living at the time. The reason why I say all this is because spirituality is the center of my life. 
right? Spirituality is all about love. It's all about connectedness. It's all about experiences of oneness. And I'd had really peak experiences. I'd had really miraculous experiences in my life. I'd had experiences where I'd felt this oneness. I'd felt this profound love. I'd connected to what I would call God. And I'd experienced that in everything around me. So I've had all kinds of experiences. And yet, when I got married, living that love and embodying that love and embodying that oneness suddenly became a huge challenge for me. And the reason why it became a huge challenge for me was because it's one thing to sit in meditation and connect to a really profound state of consciousness, right? But it's another thing to then learn how to hold that and embody that when you are in relationship with other people in your daily life. And one thing that I hadn't learned at that time that I didn't know was the amount of trauma, the amount of basically pain that I was bringing to the relationship that she was bringing to the relationship. And so being in relationship showed me that in spite of having had all these profound spiritual experiences, there was still a massive amount of healing that needed to happen in order for me to fully open my heart, right? Not just to have heart opening experiences, but for my heart to fully open and be open. My wife and I have been married for 14 years now. I would say that 10 of those years were 10 of the most challenging years of my life where I realized that I was not embodying the person, the man that I had envisioned myself becoming, the husband, the loving husband and the loving father that I always knew I had the potential to be, somebody else was showing up in the relationship with my wife and with my kids. That was really the time where I learned my heart is not open the way that I want it to be. And all the conflicts that stemmed in my relationships came as a result of that. I wanna ask you about the 10 challenging years and get to the point where you had the epiphany or you did the work. I want to get to that before we get to that. I want to go backwards in time, back to the Zen Buddhist monastery, because that just completely sparked my curiosity, because I've heard of people living. Can you give us just a little bit? What's it like a day or a week in the life of David Peralta living at a Zen Buddhist monastery? What was that like back in the day? It is a day in the life. A tiny bit of context there also. The reason why I went to a Zen Buddhist monastery was because I was a sophomore in uh, university, and I realized life was not going in the direction that I wanted. I was checking all the boxes, doing everything that I needed to do, and yet I was deeply miserable and unhappy. While I was on a road trip the summer after my sophomore year, I realized that's when I had the epiphany, the first epiphany. And that epiphany was that I had taken on all these expectations. I was basically living a script for my life of what I thought I was supposed to do, right? Meeting all these expectations, but none of them were coming from me. None of them were what I really wanted to be doing. I just took them on because they were expected of me by my parents, by society, by my high school teachers, everything, by all my peers. This is just what we did. Get good grades, get into a good school, get a job. This is just what we're supposed to be doing. And yet none of that was bringing this deep sense of satisfaction. So while I was on this road trip after my sophomore year, I had this moment by myself where I realized that I didn't have to do anything, that I was under no obligation to fulfill any of these expectations, and that instead, in that moment, I could feel for the first time. So this is that heart theme. I started to feel in my heart that there was a source inside of me of guidance and intuition, and that if I listened to that, if I listened to what felt right for me and made decisions according to that, somehow I just knew that this was going to lead to the fulfillment that I had been missing so much. And so that's what led me to the Zen Buddhist monastery, 
was to discover how to uh, listen to that, how to let go of this way of operating up until that point and start to operate in a way that was based solely on listening to that inner guidance Mm -hmm. and to that inner voice. That's what I started to learn how to do in the Zen Buddhist monastery, right? It's just basically just sitting in meditation and becoming aware of everything that's arising, right? Thoughts, feelings, emotions, physical sensations. And the more mindful I became of everything, the more I could choose where do I want to put my attention, right? And what do I want to follow as opposed to just unconsciously, okay, my mind is going here, so I'm going to do that, right? Like I'm worried about this, so I should do that. Or I'm anxious about this, so I better start doing that as opposed to, wait a minute, none of that feels right for me. There's a deeper feeling that actually right now, I just want to sit here. I just want to be here. Or this is the particular course of action that I want to take right now. And it's not what my mind thinks. It's something deeper. And so that's something that the Zen Buddhist monastery really helped me to start walking at that time. I think what I can compare your story to is I remember reading Michael Singer's book, The Surrender Experiment, and he talked about he would made it his life's mission when he was in college. He made his life's mission to literally, I want to sit and connect with this deeper inner part of me where the answers are. And he would practice meditation for many hours every day. And what I think I just heard you say is that the more aware you are of all the things that are happening around you, the more free you are to choose how you might want to or where you might want to like spend your time or your energy. But is this something when you're at the monastery, are you there, like you wake up in the morning at five and you go sit and meditate for like an hour or five? What is It was actually really funny because something like 4.45 in the morning, there was a monk who would come with a really loud bell running through the entire monastery, ringing the bell, opening your door, ringing the bell in your room. That was the alarm. And then 15 minutes later, you'd be seated in meditation in the meditation hall starting at 5 a.m. I think it was two meditation sessions of 45 minutes. And then you go have breakfast, you do your work, you have lunch, and then there's another evening meditation session, I think 5 p.m. And then there would be intensives where there would just be hours of meditation for a week and sometimes for up to two months at a time. But before I ended up doing one of those intensive retreats, like really going away, life took me in a different direction. Wow. Forgetting about the really intensive retreat, it sounds like this is really intense as it is. So at any given day, you're meditating, you're in silence for how long? Two to three hours a day three hours a day of silence. That's challenging for me to digest seeing as I meditate for 15 minutes every morning and you're talking like three hours. That sounds like a lot. So you fine-tuned this practice and you found something. And from there, you moved on. What point does your wife come into there? Because I think you might have met her in that time. Is that right? That was not that time. So that was 2003, 2004 when I was in the Zen Buddhist monastery. In 2006, 2007, That's when I met uh, this teacher in India. Then over the course of four years, I lived two years at his ashram. And it was in 2010 that I met my wife. What was that first meeting like? Was it love at first sight? What was that like? It was a back and forth. So at that time, neither one of us were interested in getting into a relationship. We had just both been burned pretty severely. But that was actually the key because both of us independently had reached a place where we decided we did not want to enter into another relationship unless we felt like this was the one that we were ready to commit to for the rest of our life. And so when we first saw each other and started to have feelings for each other, there was a chemistry for sure. Yeah. And we were both trying to avoid it. And then there was one day where I was sitting in the garden 
and I was not feeling so great. And she came up to me and started talking to me. And I started sharing with her immediately from a depth and from a level of honesty and vulnerability that I had never done with anybody else that quickly. From that moment, we knew like that this was it. I can't say like we knew from that moment. It was more like we knew this was a soulmate. We had each found our soulmate. The moment we started deciding to consciously spend time together, that's when it really became clear. This is that relationship that we were both looking for. This is the level of commitment and honesty and openness that we were both looking for. We got married four months later. Awesome. So a great story. We're at a high right now. At the same time, we know that there is a 10 challenging years period here. We're on a high. We're in love. There's chemistry, soulmate. And so how did we get to this feeling or this thought that it's 10 challenging years? How did that come up? Yeah, so it didn't change. It was a natural evolution. So we get married. Our plan is that we're just going to live in India for as long as we can. But we got married four months later. And then four or five months after that, we found out she was pregnant. So suddenly continuing to live in an ashram in India is no longer an option. And so we have to go back to the West. We decide to live in Austria because that's where she's from. She's from Vienna, Austria. Now, this is a really good transition because like you said, I had been meditating two to three hours at a Zen Buddhist monastery, right? I had been living in an ashram in India, again, focused on meditation, slightly different form of meditation, but still really focused, right? The entire environment, everything there is dedicated to support every single person's practice and evolution. But now we're no longer living in this environment. Now we're living in a giant city in Vienna, Austria. And now I'm responsible for earning a living again and for now providing for a family for the very first time. Now there's all kinds of stress in our life, right? And in a big city, it's noisy. You're not surrounded by other meditators, you're surrounded by people who are in that same mode of operating that I had been right, that many of us have been in, where we're not questioning our life, we're just going. And most of the people that you look at in a city are deeply unhappy. And so yeah. now we're in this environment, and that's where the struggle starts. So the struggle starts, right, in terms of the stress, got to provide, got to earn money, how am I going to do it? That's a story in and of itself. Then we have disagreements about how we do things. And then we start to great on each other's nerves about certain things. And we start to find that there are certain points of conflict in our relationship where it's just, it's very difficult to find common ground. And this continues, right? Like over 10 years, we end up having a daughter who has certain special needs, which also creates a lot of stress in our life. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of love. We love each other deeply, but the conflicts and the stress start to take up more and more space. And what starts to happen is we argue more and more and we find common ground less and less. And the drifting starts to happen until it gets to that point about 10 years in where the challenges that we're facing around our daughter, she's got an anxiety disorder, are so intense. And the need to provide constantly is getting so strong that things really blow up. And we start to really argue at a level that we had not been arguing at before. And then that's when we realize something's got to change. We can't keep doing this. And that's when we start to reach out 
for help. That's when we start to work with a parenting coach to help to understand how can we better work with our daughter and to be supportive of our daughter. That's when we start to work with a couples therapist. That's when we start to work with personal therapists. That's when we start to work with nutritionists. That's when we start to basically realize, okay, developing spiritually for us has been our foundation, but in order to develop holistically as human beings, we have to work on every single aspect of us. And I feel very grateful that we started with the spiritual because like I said, the awakening to who we are, that that's to me the foundation. That's the foundation of the work that I do with other people is we are not our minds. We are not our thoughts. We are not our feelings and we are not our emotions. We are the light inside the soul that experiences all of those things, but is not those things. When we learn to operate from that, that's when our life truly starts. That's the struggle. My wife and I, we've had these experiences, we've awakened to that, and yet we're having all this conflict and we're having all these difficulties. And now we start to realize there's many layers that we need to heal at if we truly want to be open-hearted human beings. Wow. That was a deep story. I'm incredibly grateful to hear what you've shared so far. And I'm curious about a couple things. One of the things is... You've done all this practice of the meditation and you've worked on yourself and then all the stresses come in of life and parenting and working and everything in life. And so it tests. This is the stress that's testing this practice that you've had and the stress starts to overwhelm the practice. And at some point, you and your wife come to this epiphany that we've got to change. And at that moment, when you realize that, what happened from then? When you came to the realization? The epiphany actually was not, we've got to change. The epiphany was, I've got to change. Because I think I should actually be a little bit more transparent about what was going on. The issue was that I realized I had major anger issues. And that's what was so shocking to me, was because prior to this relationship, I had never seen that. I guess I'd had intimations here and there. Like sometimes I would feel really angry inside, but it had never come out. In no relationship, in no friendship, mm. nowhere had this anger ever come out of me. And yet, once I'm a father and a husband, suddenly this anger starts to erupt out of me in these high-stress situations. That starts to really poison the relationship. And that starts to really cause a massive amount of... That was the dilemma. It's like, what the hell is going on? I've been on the spiritual journey and I've connected to all these states, profound states of love. Where is this anger coming from? And that was the turning point was, I have to find out. I have to heal this. I have to learn where this anger, what the source of this anger is. And one of the things that led to that was actually that we would have couple therapy. And the couple's therapy like descended pretty quickly. It was not very productive. As a result of that, we actually realized, both of us, we don't have problems with each other we've each brought problems to the relationship. And that was a massive turning point, yeah? Mm. We don't have problems with each other, we've each brought problems to the relationship. And the moment that started to become clear, part of what had been happening was I had been turning to her and looking to her as the source of conflict. I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like how she does this, I don't even like how she organizes the dishwasher, tiny things like that to much bigger things like that. And then it was realizing like, 
None of that is the problem. The reason why I feel so irritated by all those things and so angry about the bigger things is because I feel angry. And there's a reason why I feel angry and I've got to find out what that is. And then that's when I started some very deep therapeutic work. I did some somatic experiencing therapy. It's not just talk therapy. It's really, okay, if I feel angry, where in my body do I feel angry? And then how does it feel? And then once I would start to, what would happen is, I had shut down. I had suppressed that anger since I was a child. So that's when I started to realize this is how I felt when I was two, three, four, five years old, six years old, and it was not okay to feel this way in my family. So I had to learn very quickly. I had to suppress this anger. I had to tamp it down. That's why it never came out until a relationship that was so full of love and so full of light that all the shadow starts to get illuminated. Everything that I've been hiding can no longer stay in hiding now because of how much light is being shown into my heart from my heart. And so now this is all coming out. So then once I start to feel the anger and open up to the anger and find constructive ways to express that anger and release that anger, then I could feel the real emotion underneath the anger, right? Which was the sadness and the hurt that I had been feeling that was so profound that it led me to get angry. But then once the anger gets stuck, there's no chance of feeling anything underneath. So then it was a really a journey of learning to go deeper and feel more. And at first I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it at all. It was so difficult that when I started this therapy, maybe once I started to tap into it for a second, I was like, I can't do this. I cannot go further. It's too much. It's too strong. And so it was really a journey of about a year's worth of work of slowly, okay, going into it a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more until finally I could get to the point where I'm comfortable opening up to whatever I feel inside. And then whatever I've been carrying, whatever is still stored in there, I'm able to open up to it. I'm able to feel it. Yeah. And then in the presence of love, in the presence of unconditional acceptance of that emotion can be felt, and then it can be reintegrated into our self, into our system, and then it passes. And then there is peace. And then there is silence. Then there is space. And then there is so much love. Okay, so pause, time out for any listener out there. What you just heard, and I'm watching David right now, so check this out on YouTube because you can see this and experience it and, and see him. And even further, let's just skip ahead, reach out to him. I'm going to give you his website and how to book a call with him because everything he just described is very close to the process that I had to go through. Yeah. Had to. I say had to. It would be I choose to because I'm an eternal optimist and I don't believe that I, things happen to me. I had to go through that. I felt like it was happening to me. Really, it's for us, it's for humanity when we go through these journeys. But it took him a whole year. It took him a whole year of hard work after 10 years of built up anger that he had somehow managed to suppress. How many. No, no, sorry, oh. sorry, 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 sorry. At that point, 35 years of built up anger. 35 years of built up anger. Pardon me, 35 years of built up anger. And it didn't start coming out until mm. the relationship, but it had been there the whole time. Yeah. How many listeners connect with that? How many people out there hear that and think, I sometimes feel this anger or this place of needing to control or needing something, 
and anger is the emotion that comes out. And what's buried underneath that? It could be, as you described, sadness. For me and my own personal journey team out there listening, that is what I discovered as well, that it was sadness underneath. And that's not just something your brain can tell you. You have to feel it. And if you don't know how to feel, then you cannot win this battle or this with just by thinking through it. This is not a thinking conversation. You've got to practice it by feeling it. And I didn't understand that at the time. And David is, I could see him, I could feel him in this room right now. And this is someone I can tell you right now has done the work and will be able to help you with this listener. If we didn't make this intentionally, try to make this like a sales pitch for David, but when I could see someone that's gone through and done the work and who's willing to own it out loud, kudos to you, my friend, for doing that. We need more. So let's ask for more. So please continue on the journey and talk to us about how does someone get started on this? Because this is not something that I don't think a lot of men in particular talk about out loud. So how do we even begin to think about getting started with something like this, David? It usually takes a source of conflict. Usually there's something going wrong in our life. There's something going wrong in our life. And then there has to be the desire, right? Of this is not what I want. I want something different. Sometimes the catalyst is going to be conflict in relationship. The relationship is not going the way that I envisioned, or I am not embodying the man that I envisioned myself to become. I'm behaving in ways that this is not who I saw myself becoming, or it could be professionally. Like I don't feel fulfilled. I don't feel a sense of purpose and meaning in what I'm doing, or it could be just emotionally. Like I just feel depressed and I don't know why, because I've got everything that I need. Everything around me is ideal. And yet I feel this emptiness or this void or this sadness inside of myself. And so there has to be like an honest taking in of what is my situation right now? And is this what I want? And if it isn't, then that's the catalyst. I want something else. And that's the key. What do I want? What do I want? I want to be a loving husband. I want to be a loving father, present, able to handle the emotions of my kids, able to provide space for my wife, emotional space for her feelings and her emotions, and, and to be able to listen to her that she can also feel at peace and she can feel unconditionally loved and not like I'm trying to fix her or change her. I want a profession. I want a job. I want to do something that feels full of purpose and meaning. I want to feel happy. I want to feel connected to God. I want to feel whatever it is. That's the most important thing. That first step of recognizing things are not the way I want them to be. And then I want something different. That's the very first kind of one, two step that has to be taken so that then we can move towards something else. I love the way you described that because I'm going to take the listeners back to when I realized that myself. I would say there are two times in my life where I realized that. One was back in 2000 and 2013 when I felt this emptiness and I was going through the motions. I cared about my people. I cared about my career. Somehow, I managed to gain 50 pounds in a mm. period of about four and a half months. And it crept up. I didn't realize it until I looked at a picture of me and Herm Edwards, the old football coach. And I saw that I looked like a giant football player. I was 278 pounds. I'd gained almost 60 pounds. I didn't see it happening. And then I started to ask, well, how did this happen? And why did I let it get to this? And this voice inside me said something wasn't right. 
I didn't know how to reconcile. I didn't know how to talk about it. And I was ashamed and I felt guilty that I hadn't done anything about it. And just this shame spiral ensued. And I'm a big optimist with a strong yeah. self-esteem. And this was happening in me. And the second time it happened was when I had my anger came out in the form of yelling at kid, my second daughter in particular, when she was one year to about 15 months old. So these two times were the big catalyst of conflict for me that caused yeah. me to change. But the second one was the one where I started to do the work you're talking about, the type of work that David does. And it has transformed my life completely to a place of at peace where before I need to achieve at all costs, never lose my integrity, but I have to achieve. And now I simply want to be here and add value to people. And it's been such a shift. Yes. So go back. You talked about earlier prioritizing love and prioritizing relationships is the most important thing we can do. You've mentioned that, and that's something that I'd love for you to just talk about that statement, because we all think that, but for those of us who aren't able to feel as much, we can think that, but we don't know how to make that happen. So why did you make that statement, prioritizing love and relationships is the most important thing? And if I am stuck on the grind of everyday life, and I want to make that commitment, I want to do something different now. I'm ready to make the commitment. What do I do from there, David? How do I start to be open? Why is love the most important thing? Why are relationships the most important thing? I have to give a little bit of spiritual background to this, like in terms of what I have come to understand, what I have been taught, and what I have experienced directly. What we experience is love. What loves is a state of oneness. The emotion that we call love is what we feel when we experience oneness. So when we love another, we are experiencing a state of oneness with them. And that's why it feels so good, because that is our natural state, oneness with everything. And so when our heart opens to another, we enter into that state. Actually, we don't enter into it, we return to it. Actually, even okay. that's not the right way of describing it, because that's the way it actually is. It's just that we think that we've been in a state of separation, we perceive separation, and so we don't feel that oneness. And so what we feel as love, that emotion, that warmness, that light, is when we re-experience and come back to that state of oneness. And so usually it's loved ones that bring us back to that state or a really beautiful experience. For example, like seeing a beautiful sunset or being in a really quiet forest that really touches our heart. Our soul re-experiences this that state of oneness, and we feel that as love. That oneness, that is love. And the entire process of creation happening is a process of love manifesting. When we enter into a state of love, we are connected to and one with the very force that creates the entire universe. In Christianity, you'd call that force the Holy Spirit. In the Eastern tradition, they call that that divine mother, right? But essentially, it's the creative force behind everything. And when we are in a state of love, that creative force expresses itself through us. And that creative force comes to us through others. So every soul, every heart is a gateway to that love, to that creative force. So when we are in a state of love and when we love others as ourselves, then we are constantly in the presence of the highest creative force in the entire universe. So then whatever visions we hold, whatever desires we have, consciously or unconscious, 
that's going to be what gets created. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, so go back a second here. You started off with we enter into a state and then we turn to it. Then wait, that's not even the way to describe it. I think you described it as we are in a state of love right now, except we are shielded from even seeing that because our lenses are on thinking and we think our way out of it, I think is what I'm trying to understand. That's 100% correct. That's a perfect way of saying it. Okay. When we love, when we can consciously or learn to make it unconsciously competent, when we consciously, intentionally love others, or we learn to do things for others, with others, that brings us closer back to this oneness and state of love that we can forget about thinking because if we're doing things for others, we're closer to that state of love. Yeah, that's exactly right. Our mind naturally quiets down. Our mind is naturally at peace. So it's not this constant chatter. It's not this constant stream of thoughts right? That's constantly looking at the world, judging the world, thinking about the past, thinking about the future, right? Basically keeping us anywhere but this moment, that all calms down. And then there's just space and contentment because being in the state of love, there's no need for anything additional. We're totally at peace. We feel this deep sense of fulfillment. And then we have inspiration. So it's not we're in that state and then we just sit in it for the rest of our lives. We're all here for a reason. We all have a purpose. There's something that we are all meant to do. And that is going to express itself as inspiration. That is going to express itself as intuition. So rather than thinking, what should I be doing? When we are in that state, we feel, I really feel like starting a podcast. I don't think I want to do it. I can feel it. It arises from inside of me, from my soul. I feel it in my heart. It comes up to my mind and I can feel it with my whole being. I can feel it in my cells. I feel alive when I feel inspired. And so we follow our inspiration. That's what we're supposed to be doing. The problem that most of us have is that's not how we operate. Most of us are operating all the time from our mind. And our mind by itself is not linked to this oneness. The mind is only linked to this oneness when we are connected to our heart, to our soul. And then our soul feeds our mind. We become aware of what we want to do. One of the things that I help people through the coachings that I do is to come to that quiet, silent place and then discover what is that feeling, what is that inspiration, and then what is the vision that they want to create for their entire life? Not just for the next five years, not just for their business, not just for the next quarter. What is the highest aim that you want to reach in your entire life? Because when it comes from that quiet place, now what you're doing is you're creating a blueprint. That vision is a blueprint. That's why visioning and creative visualization is so powerful. Because what we're doing is we create a blueprint and then we give that blueprint to that creative force. If we are not consciously creating a blueprint, we are just going to be at the mercy of life. Basically, the mercy of the waves of life. I want to say that a little differently, actually, because what we do when we create these visions is we actually partner with life. We partner with that creative force. When we don't do that, then we are just at the mercy of whatever illusions are presenting themselves in our life and then our mental reactions to those things. 
You've taken me down the rabbit hole here. I feel like I'm drinking from a hose and like it is poured all over me right now. So I am covered in just this amazing place where I'm feeling love. I'm, I'm feeling really good. I'm genuinely feeling it. Now I'm starting to think about it, but I'm feeling it. And I'm curious if you had to rate your place right now, one through 10, where are you on the scale of with feeling peace or feeling love? Like what's your state right now, David? I'm probably like an eight or a nine or something. And I just want to say, the reason why it's not a 10, it very often gets to a 10, is because I came into this podcast not feeling 100%. Other things just going on in my life. And and that's okay. Being human does not mean that we are going to be in this ideal state all the time, right? We have other emotions. We have other feelings, right? But the key is to be open to those emotions and to be open to those feelings so that they can flow through us. Being human, in my experience, means learning how to be open to everything that we experience, open to everything that we feel. By the way, that's how we relate to the world. It doesn't matter what happens externally. What matters is what we feel inside in relationship to what is happening externally and to be open to those feelings. Because what happens is, look, if we've got trapped anger, if we've got trapped hurt that has not been looked at, then there are going to be over and over again. First of all, that is going to be what's being created. That's the blueprint that we've created unconsciously in our mind and that we're constantly going to be facing situations that are triggering our anger, triggering hurt, triggering feelings of rejection, triggering feelings of unworthiness, triggering feelings of jealousy, whatever the flavor of hurt that it is that we've got inside of us, we're constantly going to be creating situations that show us that. By the way, this is a gift. That's not a curse. That's a gift from life to show us. Essentially, life reflects back to us. Hey, look, man, you're hurting. I just want to show you this, okay? That's why I'm bringing this person into your life. You have got deep feelings of unworthiness. That's why I'm bringing this relationship or this event into your life so you can look at it, so that you can feel it, right? But if we don't feel it, I actually forgot where I was going with this because there's so much of it. But I, I think what it is, if we feel it, then we can stay connected to that oneness. If we don't feel it, then actually we never allow ourselves to be connected to that oneness. And we're going to be in a constant state of threat, of stress, of lack, of challenge, of all these difficulties, as opposed to when we learn to open up to it. If something makes us feel angry, we can feel angry on the inside, but we feel that anger. If something hurts, we feel the hurt. We don't act from it. We feel it. And then once it's been processed and reintegrated inside of us, then we can go back to that place and feel, all right, what is the right response? And we don't think. That's the key, right? Not thinking what is response, asking what is the right response, and then listening to the inspiration, listening to the intuition that arises. This is powerful. There's so much depth here. I hope that team, you can hear this and really see this. I'll just use David's word. This is a gift, what he shared with us today. And this is a place that if this touched you in any way, if it flickered on a light or if it amplified any kind of light that's already inside, if it awakened the light, then... How do we connect with you? How do we reach out to you and find you? Because I know that there are people hearing this, that this is connecting. How do we take the next step and reach out to you and connect? 
best place to find me right now is uh, soulcenteredfounder.com. That's the website for the work that I'm doing. And I'm on it right now. And I can see that if you go to the website, it's a beautiful website. There's some testimonials on there. And there's a place that we can go and book some time with you. So very good. Very good. There's time available. There's a couple of slots each day, team, if you want to reach out to David personally and book some time with him. David, any last words? I hate to cut us off. And at the same time, I think this might be the time. If there's a if there's a something you'd like to share with the audience that might get them off the bench and reach out, what might your inspiration or your words be to them? Yeah, that there is a different way to operate in this world. There is a different way to learn how to embody and live our purpose, right? That does not involve having to struggle so much and having to fight uphill or crawl uphill where we don't have to be in a state of stress. We don't have to be in a state of overwhelm and burnout. There is a possibility, like I said earlier, to partner with life, to create a vision for what it is that wants to come through us and then become an awestruck witness as miracles start to come into our life and create this vision in ways that we never could have imagined and we never could have created by ourselves. So that's possible. It is possible and there is an outlet, there's a way to get there. Thank you, David, for sharing with us today. And I'd like to start to move to the lightning round here. As we move to the end, I'd love to ask you first, if you're a reader or if books are a part of your journey, I'm curious, what might be one or two books that have had an impact on you that you'd recommend? Books that have had an impact on me, man, plenty of books have had an impact on me. But what I'd love to recommend, is not like a self-help or self-improvement book, but it's a book that I read recently called The Covenant of Water. The Covenant of Water by Abraham Verghese. It's a novel. It's a big novel. And the reason why I recommend this is because this book contains the depth of the human experience, the full range of tragedy, of joy, of connection, and at the heart of it all, love. And this book has just had a profound impact on my life. I've started gifting it to plenty of people. The Covenant of Water. It's a beautiful book. The full range and depth of the human experience. Love it. Thank you. Okay. If you're a music person, if that connects with you, then I'm curious, is there a genre or a song or an artist or something that really fills your bucket? Yeah, hands down. My favorite album of all time is The Last of the Mohicans soundtrack. Yes. And for similar reasons, that is a movie about a warrior, a man who will stop at nothing for love, who will overcome any obstacle for love. And the soundtrack captures that so beautifully. And. I love the way that David just flexed his depth. I love it because I remember that movie and I'm trying to think about some of the scores in that movie. And it was an amazing soundtrack, no doubt. I didn't think about it like that until now. That's pretty cool. Okay, last question. I'll give you the last word here. David, when you hear the name of our show, the Eternal Optimist podcast, what do the words eternal optimist mean to you? That's the key to life. That's the key to life is being an eternal optimist. In other words, no matter what happens, no matter what occurs in our life, positive, negative, we're able to see the positive in all of it. We're able to see the depth in everything. We're able to see the light that is inside of everything. It's a state that takes us beyond time. Yeah, it lets us live our true nature. So that's what comes to me when I hear Eternal Optimist. Optimist.